is your host, Dr. Tommy Mitchell from the Mental Health and Wellness Show. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Trisha Ruth. She is a Dallas wife and mother who built her career coaching young athletes. She has won the multiple state volleyball championships. However, these pale compared to what she gained through tragedy. Against the advice of medical experts, Trisha completed her pregnancy with a child diagnosed with a fatal chromosome condition. So that's a genetic condition. That season, her team won. The child in her grew. And eventually, Trisha held and loved the daughter no one expected to live. Then in six searing days, Trisha and her family rewrote the medical chapter on Trisomy 18, living out a story that galvanized the high school she worked in, the media in her city, and still inspiring her audiences to this day. With no further ado, I would love to introduce Trisha. Trisha, thank you to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So, this is on grief, right? And I like to say grief is a reflection of our love. To have grief is a blessing in the sense that we have loved. And that's the way I've come to terms with it after dealing with different types of grief in my life. But in the moment when it happens, I don't have that feeling. <laughs> so since this is a mental health and wellness show, I'll ask the first question. What are some of the biggest lessons learned about mental health during the loss of your daughter? Well, I think that initially my response was, you know, shock and sadness. And like you said, I mean, when you're in it, you just don't feel hopeful at all. Mm-mm. But I had an interesting way of approaching the grief after losing her and being on maternity leave without a child at home. It just made things feel worse. You know, my husband had to go back to work. My son was in school and I was at home feeling very lost like I was supposed to be taking care of a baby and I wasn't Mm. and so for better for worse I jumped back at work almost two weeks or less after the funeral and I had had a c-section and I should have taken time for abridgement and so I probably gave up about 10 weeks of leave because I felt like the option for me, the best option for me was to go back to work and just be busy and dive into my work and act like everything was going back to normal. And that worked for a little while. But then I definitely realized, especially about two years ago, it would have been five years after she died, that it just all came crashing back. Because I think the more that you shelf your grief and put off dealing with it, eventually it will just build and build and then you collapse. And I can't change what the happened in the past and I wish I would have taken probably more time or at least advised, you know, gotten advice from other people at the time. But for whatever reason, that's what I thought was right and that's what felt good at the time to just jump back into work full force. And then I ended up really having to deal with a lot of the grief years later. Wow. So basically you went back to work within a month of your daughter's passing. Yes. You had a little one at home and you probably had everything for this child, right? Did you set up a nursery? Was that kind of, or you didn't because you knew early on that? Yeah, we didn't. So because I had a three-year-old at home, all the items did bring like pins and all of those things. And because we had planned on having another child and so we had kept a lot of things from his birth, we chose not to have a baby shower for clothes and for acting just because I felt like um, the doctor's predictions were that it would be a stillbirth or I wouldn't make it full term. 
term. And I just didn't want to have people spending money on things and awkwardly have to take them back and have to go through that afterwards. Yeah. But, you know, there's always a piece of you, no matter what anyone says, that is hopeful and that wishes that something will change or that something will be different than what the doctor's telling you. And so we did get to take her home and she did live six days. And there were definitely those moments when we saw that she was with us and she lived and she was able to come home that we thought we would have more time with her. Um, but even the six days that we got was more than what was promised from what doctors said. So we were still really great with that. Wow. What was it like bringing her home to you? Because at that point you had a three and a half year old son. So during the pregnancy, he had constantly prayed that we would take her home, that she would be alive. And, you know, we had to prepare him for worst case scenario and just let him know that we hope that too and pray that too, but it may not happen and that she may have to go right back to heaven or yeah. you know, have to leave us very quickly. And so I think that when we got to take her home, uh, he was very much like, I told you so, I told Aww. you we were going to get keep her. But in his mind, that meant that she would stay forever. If she gets mm-hmm. to come home, she could stay with us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's three. We're trying to just explain things the best that we can and be hopeful. But um, one of the conditions she had was apnea episode so that she would kind of fall asleep not breathing. Not breathing. Yeah. That was happening more frequently, especially in that last day. And it's a very frightening experience, you know, when that happens. And so we did a lot to take him, the grandparent, and so that he stayed there the night that she passed away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember vividly having to tell him that she was gone when he came home from that. And that was probably really the worst moment of all because you just saw little super precious baby face um, rushing around the house looking for his sister and you can't find her. Um, but, you know, one thing that struck me was uh, the fact that the Bible says to have faith of a child. And I saw that through my son's eyes. I saw him really seeing this very black and white, that if his sister was unhealthy and had an unhealthy heart, that she had to go back to heaven and be healed. And we can find hope and joy in that. And, you know, I remember a couple months after her passing, we were at the barbershop getting his haircut, and he was asked if he has any siblings. He said, yes, I have a sister in heaven. And I remember the lady cutting her hair was like struck by how matter of fact he was about that. And then even now that he has another sister, it's again, I have two sisters, one in heaven and one on earth. And so I think for me personally, in my faith journey, that it was really awesome to watch the faith of my son through all of this because we still talk about her, we pray for her. She's a part of our life, even though she's not here. And I think that when you talk about mental wellness and children, just being able to talk about grief and honestly about loss with kids and speaking about it in a healthy way. I, since the loss of Annabelle, had um, also lost both of my step parents. And again, having to explain that to our son and what was happening with their health declining, he was able to be sad, but he was able to understand it. And I think that preparing him that losses will happen in our lives is really an important part of our job as parents. You know, that's so beautiful. That's on so many levels, it's a testament to what amazing parents he had. The fact that even at a young age, he could grasp that means that you were sowing those seeds in his life from the get-go. And you mentioned the purity of a child and the faith of a child. But my own kids, I can see that. Like when we pray, we're praying. They believe that this is going to happen. And they're little, I told you so, mommy, I told you. It is the cutest, like heartwarming thing. Mm-hmm. Just their belief, like... 
this will happen. You know, we can pray for things to happen. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes I think with Christianity and movies or books, mm-hmm. it's like if you pray, you'll get the miracle and that something will change. It doesn't always work that way. Exactly. And yeah. so that's why I think in my book and message, you know, we, of course, we wanted a healthy baby. We wanted a healthy pregnancy and we didn't get that. But we can still be hopeful and joyful in loss and in tragedy. And I know that we're better people for it because we've learned more than we could have imagined about love and faith or hoping through tragedy. And, um, you know, I the book is called When Wishes Change because mm. I think that it's an important concept for all of us, especially during this time with COVID and so many people's lives completely changing. And none of us wished for that. I mean, no. none of us wanted any of these crazy things to happen. But if that's God's will and if, if we're supposed to follow that, I think that it's important that we have to be able to allow our wishes to change and to keep our eyes open for next opportunities instead of like being stuck on the wish that you didn't get. Definitely. Definitely. Wow. Are there some things that surprised you during the pregnancy and at a birth and after her death, like as far as your emotional response? Even though you had this faith, you know. Yeah. One thing that I've realized in hindsight is that I could start off the day really hopeful and then end it in total despair. Mm-hmm. And even if like something completely miraculous happened or, you know, I got some kind of great message or there was something that like coincidence can't explain, I still would find myself doubting. And I can look back now and realize how ridiculous that was to doubt plan and, you know, how things happen. But that's because I'm on the other side of it. Yeah. And so it's always hard to say that. Like, I wish I wouldn't have been so anxious and, you know, had so much anxiety because it all worked out. It's all going to be okay. But, you know, as we all know, when you're in the moment, very hard to be the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I think the the shocking part was that grief that hit me five years after. And um, and again, now that I'm a couple years away from it, I know why. Because I put the grief on the shelf and chose not to deal with it at the time. And maybe I just wasn't ready to deal with it with it then but it really hit me strongly and then I think the other thing that surprised me was that especially as time went by I wouldn't say I was ashamed to talk about grief or my emotions but in a way I had a feeling that maybe people would think that I should be over this or I should have moved on especially years after and I mean you can't think that way but it did make it more difficult to open up you know if I had a really bad day and it was because of you know my grief from Annabelle it was hard for me to admit that's what it was about because I thought it's been five years people are going to think it's kind of crazy that I'm still dealing with that which I know isn't true at all but that's just how I felt and you know you're not alone in that feeling a lot of people who are going through grief they feel like pretty much after the one year anniversary in some cases after the loved one is buried everyone else continues their life like nothing happened and then you're left to deal with the emotions and that is hard that is very very horrible so, as I said at the beginning, grief is a reflection of love. And your love for her, just because she's not here in, our, in your physical arms, does not diminish because she's gone. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I feel that. And, I, and again, I think that, you know, the good thing now is I feel like I'm in a place where I can help others and talk about, I guess you could say the mistakes I made or the things I wish I would have done differently. Because I don't know if podcasts were not a thing or maybe they just weren't a big thing. But in 2014, when I was pregnant, I wish I would have 
I've had the opportunity to hear people that were going through grief in this kind of outlet or, or way because I think it would have taught me a lot, you know. I mean, when I was writing a book, I listened to a million podcasts, how to write a book. Then I was done with the book. I listened to a bunch of podcasts, how to market a book. I mean, Sounds I like my world. so yeah. much from listening to others' experiences. And in my world, it was really difficult to find anyone that I could talk to that had had a trisomy 18 baby because it was very rare. 100%. The only thing I found was like some Facebook communities, which you're not really talking or listening, you're just typing. And a lot of it is um, just helping others grieve through their losses and give condolences. And, and then even for the ones that had babies that survived, it was about care, you know, like my daughter's having this symptom what do I do? So it's, it's very different than this kind of format. Definitely. I'm certainly different. Wow. So for those listeners who are like, okay, most people have heard of Down syndrome. They know about that from zone 21, but trisomy 18 is it's not common, so mm -hmm. they wouldn't understand. Do you mind sharing with the listeners what it's like to bring home a baby with yeah. trisomy 18? So the main difference is that um, you find more serious heart conditions. And for Annabelle, instead of having four chambers in her heart, she only had two. So, mm -hmm. you know, we've all taken freshman biology and know that you're supposed to have four oh, and not mm -hmm. two. And even the fact that she lived six days was really a miracle um, because that really shouldn't have happened. Because of her heart condition um, and how small she was. She was only three pounds, three and a half pounds. You know, open heart surgery or any kind of heart surgery for a child, you have to wait at least until they're 10 or more pounds and there have to be, you know, certain things that you feel comfortable doing such a serious surgery. And that was not really ever in the picture for her. Um, the other thing that was difficult was that they told me in the womb that she was not able to swallow amniotic fluid very well or very much. And so when she came out, they told me she would not be able to swallow. That's typically another condition. And then they also told me because she was so small that it could be really dangerous but in a feeding tube because she could operate. And so it's kind of a double-edged sword because you can't swallow, you can't eat. But if you can't put in a tube, you can't give the baby food. And so essentially, you're left no choice. But by day two and a half or three, I had this amazing NICU nurse that had come down and put a little bit of my milk on a Q-tip and had her kind of sniff it. And then all of a sudden, she started sucking. Like just, and so it was amazing. We got that on video and everybody was so surprised and shocked felt like she needed to at that time wow that's beautiful but you know you know you mentioned you went to work a month after and you know what to be honest you sound a lot like me in the sense that i've done that so i can't even judge you know my first pregnancy traumatic pregnancy traumatic after during pregnancy everything i went to work less than a week after then mm. the loss and then my last one, she almost died and she was in ICU and I witnessed that and I became a patient and I almost died. I went to work a week after it started. Mm -hmm. I didn't give myself time to grieve anything and even the thought of near loss, like the thought of when you, when I came home, my baby wasn't home. I can relate because I never stopped to really grieve any of my losses. I worked through them. But then it caught up with me. And it caught up how many years after my first one? Three years after my first one, where I basically hit rock bottom and was burnt out. And um, I knew that I had to stop. Well, because my body forced me to stop. I couldn't, couldn't do any more. But we shouldn't get to that point ideally, but for many of us, we say we're strong, we can do this, we've got faith, well, good, keep on going, we're stoic, yep. but we're human. Yeah, well, and I don't know what it was. I think that like, in my career, I enjoyed it. I love what I did. I love coaching. I loved 
the people interaction and being at home and just doing nothing or relaxing, if you will. I mean, I don't even know really what that word means still, mm. but it for some reason, I don't know if it's been ingrained in us or if some people are just more apt to not want to slow down or not be okay with slowing down. Yeah. Because even on weekends, like, I'm always doing something. I'm always Well, you're self-employed. Yes. That's the problem. Me too. Because there's no one telling us to stop. Yeah. And if we, things don't get done, we don't, they don't get done. We have to do it. At least so we tell ourselves. Oh, yeah. I put myself on deadlines and timelines and all oh, kinds yeah. of things. I will say the one thing, uh, so I left my job at the end of April and I mean, I just was working so much and then I was finishing the book and I was seeking opportunities and I wanted to give something else a try and um, kind of like what you're saying, like being self-employed, it's just there's seven days in the week and you want to utilize all the time you have to get things done and you want to really well and be successful. But I have found like different ways to force myself to not work. And so I started playing tennis with a team where it's like, you know, I went out for an hour today on lunch and played tennis with people and, you know, you have to have your phone on silent and you're getting workout and you're getting social interaction. And I realized like I was able to work all morning and then have that workout break and social interaction and then work in the afternoon. And I still felt like, you know, I'd had a great day and I'd accomplished a lot of things. And in my job, you know, in an office, I just was a workhorse. I worked through lunch. And so I think that making yourself commit to different things at different times, whether it's working out or, you know, having happy hour with a friend or something like that and forcing those on your calendar, um, you know, forces those healthy breaks to happen. I agree that putting it on your calendar, my world, I'm sure it's yours, if it's not on the calendar and there's something that's hooking you to that responsibility, like, you doesn't happen. Yes. Yeah. Everything is on my calendar, all things. So mm -hmm. it's not there. It doesn't exist. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Like, what? <laughs> and sometimes I forget about things not until my calendar buzzes at me I'm like oh but I'd like to some things I like to do two or three alarms yeah because life can get busy and you know you, you have you know you have young people in, at home and they get busy you know you're married you've got stuff going on you're multiple multiple dimensions to you mm -hmm. <sighs> but you have to find <laughs> wow yeah. So, what would you like to share to our listeners who are perhaps have gone through similar, well, gone through grief? and they're struggling. Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is that you probably are not capable of fixing things on your own and getting busy. I think that whether you are the type of person that loves to talk it out with other people, whether that's friends or people that are dealing with a similar situation or going to a therapist and talking about it, um, if you're a podcast person, right, and you do other people that have gone through things like your situation that you can listen to, books, I think a lot of people like to read books to kind of reflect on similar situations I think you have to find resources that best fit you. And I also would say that um, there's not a timeline on grief. And if there's something that you went through maybe even 10 years ago or longer that you never adequately dealt with and you realize that there's certain things in your life that are triggers or things that are still coming up from that, if you just get help now and get yourself some of that therapy or, or get through some of the things you didn't get through before, you'll find yourself in such 
a better place. And so that's why like two years ago when I actually saw a therapist, that was the first time for me. I did not seek therapy or anything right after her death. Um, I was able to see things from a different perspective and have a better understanding of my grief and my loss and where, where certain things were coming from. And it was really educational for me to get through that. And then last, I mean, my message is always that there's hope and that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And some of us live in pretty aggressive storms in our lives and it's really dark and some kind of go through little storms here and there, you know, and you kind of have up and down. But it's a part of life. Everybody's going to go through loss and have to grieve losses. And if you can remember that uh, it will be okay and that it will all work out, God is good. If we believe God is good, then whatever the bad situation is can be redeemed and you can be a better person, a stronger person from your grief. Then I think it's healthy to think that way to just work through it. Just know that you can get through anything. I agree. You can definitely get through anything. I also believe that God wouldn't give you more than you can handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the holiday season is the close to us. Like, in, you're in the U.S., you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Any tips for people who are kind of approaching that season? And even for you, your daughter's birth was December. Yeah, that was really hard. I mean, yeah. my birthday is December 29th, four days after Christmas. Yeah. The entire Christmas story is about a mother about to give birth to a child that she doesn't know mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And that's how I felt in that in that time of my life. Um, the holidays are pretty hard for our family. But at the same time, um, you know, I think most of us have more time off. And I think if you can take advantage of that, time for your time, time for yourself and time spent with your family um, and maybe even working through that grief you know like maybe that's the time that you can schedule to a therapist or listen to more podcasts or whatever it is um, you know I think that this could be the first holiday that somebody has without their father or mother or sister or brother and that can get very emotional and if you know that it's going to be tough then you have to prepare for that you know I mean if you're going into battle you have to put on armor to prepare yourself for battle and it's kind of a similar situation you have to prepare your heart and your mind but it may not be an easy day and that um, that's okay okay to have a sad thanksgiving sometimes I mean, yes that's right not, it is okay yeah it is okay it doesn't always just have to be this happy and perfect yeah um event with everybody happy and getting along because it may not even be the loss it may just be a relationship that is lost, you know, with a family member or something. And most of us don't have perfect families that all get along or mm-hmm. that are all married or whatever the situation is. I mean, I don't. My husband doesn't. Holidays are hard for us for many different reasons, not yeah. just the loss of our child. And so we've always gone into it just kind of laughing our way through it and just saying, all right, we're going to make it happen. Yeah. May not be the most comfortable situation with, you know, dad and girlfriend or mom and boyfriend or like all these different awkward situations but you know you have to talk about that with your significant other or with your family members about how you're feeling because you you don't have to fake that everything is just because it's the holiday i agree own your emotions it's okay find Mm -hmm. a way to get through it coping strategies sometimes you know me and my husband will kind of like plan okay how messed up is this gonna be or what's gonna happen in this situation you know what i mean it's like ha 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 (laughs) you're right (laughs) 
Well, and then the other thing I think that's super important is that um, if you find ways to serve others, right? Like if you really focus on being perfect gifts for your friends or making others happy through the holiday season or bring your family and maybe that's a great opportunity to volunteer at a homeless shelter. Um, I think it also puts your life in perspective too, right? That it's like, okay, I lost a child and I've lost other people and my family situation isn't perfect. But when you serve others that are even more in need, you're like, well, I'm extremely grateful for what I do have. It puts perspective on what you do have instead of what you don't. 100%. And, you know, we've got other guests on this podcast. And that's what they did, too. Like, they joined grief chairs at their churches. Or they started a ministry where they donated XYZ in, in remembrance of their loved ones. And honestly, anyone that I've talked to that has done those kind of things, they feel better for it. Mm-hmm. It's restorative. It's, it just brings peace. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, you know, but I mean, it definitely they found it very beneficial. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, well, this has been a great conversation. I will definitely check out your book, When Wishes Change. Is it, do you have an audio version yet, or is it only book? Yeah, not yet. I have a, like an ebook or a Kindle version, yeah. and then paperback and hard copy. And it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and everywhere else. And then, you know, a big thing for me too over the last couple of years is that I've tried to follow on, on social media like more inspiring motivational type people instead yes. of just celebrities or friends because yes. sometimes especially like I, like on the holidays when I'm going through a hard time I don't need to see everybody's like super happy perfect family right mm-hmm. I need to see some real life yeah <laughs> and so some of the people I follow are like there's some sarcasm right or like oh real yeah and real stories and I really like some authors and authors and some inspiration and so when I started my social media accounts when I wrote a book I had that in mind like I really wanted it to be something that people can follow and get inspiration or quotes mm-hmm. or you know like nuggets of hope instead of just feeling like you have FOMO and yeah I feel, yeah you get off of Instagram and you're in a bad mood. Like, nobody needs that. So yeah. I do have um, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at When Wishes Change. And uh, the TikTok is kind of recent. So there's, like, one really cool video about, like, our whole story with our daughter. Um, the other thing was the it was made into a documentary because my team won the state championship that year for her. And she was born alive when she wouldn't be. Um, but then another video on there is a makeup tutorial with my daughter. <laughs> Nice. It's funny and it's cute. So, you know, it's just trying to brighten somebody's day is the whole point behind it. I love it. I agree. I, on my Instagram and social media, I hardly follow celebrities. Cause like, mm-hmm. I'll listen to someone's sarcastic mommy quotes. Like, but yes. they keep it real. <laughs> yes, that's the best. I know. I, I'm I like, and I engage with them. I'm like, this is awesome. I totally relate. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and of course, the inspiration is really, because when I go on it, I actually leave inspired. I don't leave feeling bad about myself, actually. Yes. Because you can choose what you tune into. Exactly. Right? It's, Social media can be a beautiful thing. Yeah. I don't know how you use the tool. Exactly. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's honor. We'll make sure we have your social media handle, the link to it. Um, we can buy your book, etc. at the bottom in the show notes. So to the listeners, thank you so much for sharing this time with us. And as usual, we'll be back same time, same place. Again, this is your host, Dr. Tommy Mitchell from the Mental Health and Wellness Show. Bye.